I'm glad you guys joined us uh, this holiday weekend. I know that there are lots of things happening and there are many places you probably could be. Uh, and I'm glad that you're here. Uh, if you're watching online and worshiping with us there, I'm glad that you're here as well. Um, we launched a series last week called Hard Truth. Uh, we're just looking into the word to see some of these truths that are just particularly difficult for us in, in our society, for us as disciples of Jesus, people who are trying to follow Jesus, but even as for our society as a whole that are, are difficult. But there are places where if we can obey these truths, uh, they give us some of the greatest capacity, um, the greatest opportunity uh, to shine God's light and make a difference in our world. And last week we looked at the hard truth about money, and this week we're shifting to the hard truth uh, about our words. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, says that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, Solomon uh, writes these words uh, some 3,000 years ago. They're in a collection of wisdom sayings. Uh, they're sayings that are uh, birthed from observations of life. And although we're removed from these words by thousands of years, I think we can appreciate their significance. Solomon is writing to a culture that's primarily what we would call an oral culture. Things are shared by, by word, by spoken word. And so when he speaks of the tongue, he's speaking of the words that are shared. And so we can look at this and say, our words have the power. Our mouths have the power of life and death. And those who love them, those who use them, those, th those who speak, those who, who, who utilize them, they, they'll experience and they'll receive some things based upon what they've said and how they've used them. And I think that Solomon, if he were living today, would add to that in the digital age. Not just our tongue uh, has the power of life and death, but our fingers have the power of life and death. Our pens and our pencils have the power of life and death. And those who use them, those who love them, will eat their fruit. I don't think I have to convince you of the power of words. I would guess that in this room, uh, every single one of us has a card or a note, uh, maybe a text message, maybe a voicemail, maybe an email, or maybe just a conversation that we remember that had such a positive impact on us. We, we can't let it go. And when we get down and life is hard and life is difficult and we're discouraged, sometimes we go back to those words uh, to maybe remind us of some truths about ourselves that we have forgotten. I'm guessing maybe you've saved some of those and you can go back to them. We know the power of words for good. But what do we also know? The power of words for pain. How many of us can remember something that someone said to us uh, about our weight, uh, about our appearance, about our abilities, maybe for some of us even decades ago? How many of us have had people um, speak harshly of maybe an ability or something that we've done and those words have stuck with us and they still, still lead to doubt. How many of us have paid good money for therapy to try to undo the harsh consequences of the harsh words that people have said towards us and against us? I have. 
Our words have the power of life and death. And those who love them will eat their fruit. Our, our words matter. And how much more is this pronounced in our digital age? It used to be that you would have to speak with someone or they would have to spend time writing a note and it being carried by a courier or by the mail to, to communicate a message to you. But now we can react in a moment, right? We, we can send a text message, which by the way are completely devoid of tone or void of tone, I mean devoid's a word, but completely void of tone. They have no tone in them. And yet we often read into them the mood that we're in when we receive them. And his words carry messages or we interpret them with messages. In a world of email and posts and tweets and messages, even a world of Marco Polo where you can record a video message to be sent to someone. We have so many ways to communicate and I think that only enhances our experience of the power of life and death that are in our words. And yet how many of us pause to consider the power that our words have or do we just react or do we just tweet or do we just post or do we just speak with no consideration for what has been shared? Now here's the beauty. Often we see the negative aspect of all the means of communication and, and all the, the negative things that can be spoken to us or the complaints that can be written about us. But, but if words have the capacity to do the wrong, they also have the capacity to do the good. Some evidence of this, if you were uh, in, during the pandemic, maybe you found, I forget the gentleman's name, I just couldn't draw a blank, uh, played Jim in the office. Uh, he had a YouTube um, uh, series he put together called Some Good News, where he only highlighted the good things. And there are millions of views on those videos. Uh, just this last week, our family finished watching, there was a daily uh, YouTube series by a YouTuber named Ryan Trahan, who just spent 15 to 20 minutes a day uh, chronicling his journey to take a penny from the West Coast and deliver it to Mr. Beast on the East Coast, all to raise food for hungry people and, and vulnerable people. And along the way, he highlighted the stories of all the good people. And yet, what do we often hear in our world about all the bad people, right? And so our words have the capacity to bring life and to do good. But how many of us recognize it? How many of us realize? How many of us live understanding the power of our words? There have been several studies done that chronicle the number of positive statements it takes to counteract a negative statement. Perhaps you've seen the research. The range in the research suggests that it's anywhere between three and five positive statements that offset a negative statement. And yet one of the things that's been observed in our culture is that positive statements are on the decline. Uh, researchers don't yet know if it's because of an inward turning during the pandemic. They're still analyzing it as people kind of you know, close in to take care of themselves. They're less observant of what's outside of them. They're more focused on what affects them. Uh, but we know there's a decrease in positive, encouraging statements. And yet, what do we see highlighted so often in our news and in conversations, what people are unhappy with? And so in the decrease, we kind of have this world that's starved. Starved for encouraging news. 
starve for real good news, starve for what's positive, what's right in our world. And who is primed to continue to champion what is good, what is right, what is lovely, what is noble, what is positive? Who's more primed than followers of Jesus who know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who saves, the one who provides a better way, the one who, who brings what our hearts desperately crave for. So in a world that's starving for good, the ones who possess the true good must step up and understand the power of our words. So here's some of the hard truths about words. One, our words have the power of life and death. Two, uh, we, we live in a world where more uh, positive needs, we, have, we need more positive words than negative. There's a, um, a disparity between the negative and the positive. And three, as we look to God's word today, uh, disciples of Jesus, disciples of King Jesus should be known by our encouraging words. And I, I just want to kind of hang out in Ephesians chapter four. Uh, I believe that this is one of the ways that we can be most revolutionary in our world. It's also one of the ways where those who claim to follow Jesus have kind of slipped in and allowed the world to shape us. And Ephesians four, Paul will use these words in Ephesians four and five, I think to call us back out and help us be reminded of the hard truth about the words. Yes, the words that we say. Yes, the words that we write, but also the words that we type and the words that we text. As Paul writes the Ephesians, uh, one of the things he highlights throughout this letter is just how their lives are supposed to be different. How if they are followers of Jesus, if they are ones who look to Jesus as their hope, as the source of truth, as the source of life that he defines and he shapes their true and ultimate identity. In fact, the whole first chapter of Ephesians reminds them again and again about who they are because of Jesus, who they are in Christ. And when we get to Ephesians 4 and 5, uh, he kind of shows how the life of those who are in Christ should be dramatically different. And one of the things that he highlights is our words. I want to start in Ephesians 4. I'm going to read verses 17 through 24. I'm going to use it as a springboard for the rest of the message. Verse 17, Ephesians 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. It's a bleak picture of people who don't yet know Jesus. But verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. He's writing to men and women, young and old, who have said, you know, I'm going to live for King Jesus. So this is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. You think differently, you act differently, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I start here because I want you to see the contrast that Paul builds between those who are following Jesus and those who are not following Jesus. 
Gentiles is this umbrella description to describe people who are outside of the faith. They don't yet follow Jesus. They, they don't believe in him. And he, he says, here's a description of them. They, they're living in the futility of their thinking. It's a word that can mean meaninglessness. They don't live for purpose. They don't live for meaning. They're darkened in their understanding. They don't really understand life because they don't know who God is. And they don't know who God is because their hearts are hardened. Why are their hearts hardened? Well, they've lost all sensitivity because they're just pursuing whatever their sensual desires want. And that keeps them from experiencing the beauty and the brilliance of who God is. But Paul says, listen, while there are people that live that way, you are not that way. You have learned Christ, the beautiful picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We are learning the way of Jesus. We are apprenticing Jesus. We are looking to him and telling him, hey, I want you to teach me. Teach me how to live. Teach me what to say. Uh, teach me how to treat people. Teach me how to engage in conversation. Treat me how to how I handle myself in all these different ways in my life. Like, you are my teacher. I'm learning from you. It's this powerful contrast. He uses other terms in Ephesians 4 and 5. He talks about the old pre-Jesus versus the new life in Jesus and learning from Jesus. He talks about light and darkness. In verse eight, we see this, for once you were, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Verse 15, he talks about wise versus unwise. It's this contrast of life lived for Jesus versus life lived apart from Jesus. In fact, all along in Ephesians, he's trying to help them see your identity is in Christ, that you're living uh, to, to be like him. That's emphasized throughout Ephesians 4 and 5. Here's just a brief tour. Ephesians 4, verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The goal is to, to be like Jesus, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 15, that we would mature to look like the one who is our head, that is Christ. Again, the description in verses 20 through 23 about the old and the new, where we can skip down to chapter five, verse one, that we're to follow God's example. Verse two, that we're to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. Or again, verse eight, that we are to live as children of the light, and the light corresponds to the way of Jesus. So there's this powerful contrast between those who don't know him and those who do. And in this whole section of Ephesians 4 and 5, he highlights the various behaviors, various activities of the human life that, and how they're different if you're living for Jesus or living apart from Jesus. And one of the ways or one of the actions, one of the things that he highlights is our words multiple times. The first time is in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, and I want to start there. And I would encourage you, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, just to consider uh, the weight and the truth in his words and how life might be better if we do it his way. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, that you would feel the conviction that comes from his words. So how can our words reflect him? What are the hard truths about a disciple being known by words that encourage Here's what he says in verse 15, that we're known by speaking the truth in love. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So those who are in Christ uh, should be known by speaking the truth in love. How many of us know someone, or maybe how many of us are someone, uh, who prides ourselves in speaking our mind and just telling it like it is? And yet, what do we also know? 
that how we share a truth often matters as much as the truth itself. Because if we share the truth in a harsh way, we share the truth in an unkind way, do people even hear it? So how do we speak the truth in love? How, how do we make sure that when we're sharing something that is supported by God's word and, and honors Christ, that we're doing it in love? And I would just give you two insights from scripture. One comes from Jesus' beloved disciple, John. In 1 John, a letter that he writes towards the end of, it's housed in the end of our New Testaments, he tells us that God is love. Like God is the one that gets to define for us what love is. And so if we're gonna speak the truth in love and we probably ought to look to him and say, how would God share these words? How would Christ share these words? In fact, Paul hits that in Ephesians chapter five, verse two, which I already, I already looked at with you, is that we walk in the way of love as Christ has loved us. So when we speak the truth, what would happen if we asked the question, well, how would Jesus say this? How would Jesus speak this truth to my child, to my spouse, to my coworker, to my boss, to my friend, to my neighbor? He's the definition and defines who love, what love is. Or we could look to the words of 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, where we have this powerful description of love. He tells us that, Paul tells us that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So what if when we go to speak the truth, we simply ran it through a filter? Am I speaking this truth patiently? Am I speaking this truth with kindness? Am I speaking this truth out of humility or out of pride? Is my aim in sharing this truth to bring someone down to dishonor them, to get something my way, self-seeking? Is it out of anger? Do the words I speak rejoice with the truth? Is the truth that I wanna speak aimed at protecting? Is it hopeful? What if those who are more inclined to speak their mind and who are followers of Jesus said, how about I speak the truth in love? How many things would shift and change in your relationships? It's the only thing that Paul highlights here in Ephesians 4. Uh, we can move on. Words come up again and again. Uh, we can look at chapter 4, verse 25. Again, in this contrast, this is how disciples of Jesus live versus the Gentiles, versus people who don't know him. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. What would happen if we were to only speak what we knew was true? What happens in a fake news world when it's hard to decipher what is true, what is real, what is a half-truth, what is a sound bite where someone has edited the whole conversation down and we see 15 seconds of what someone says? What happens when we become people who just tell those stories like they're absolute facts and we don't really know the truth? What would happen within the body of Christ if we told less conspiracy stories and really distilled what was true and only spoke what we knew had no falsehood in it? What would happen if we refrained from the lies and the gossip and the slander? What kind of life would be brought to our world if we only spoke what was true? If we fast forward down to verse 29, more description of how our words matter. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
The, the word unwholesome there can be translated rotten or filthy. Don't let any rotten or filthy, decaying speech come out of your mouths, but instead only what is helpful, only what is life-giving, only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit. What happens when followers of Jesus say, I'm only going to speak what is helpful, what's encouraging, what's uplifting? And how many times do we get sucked into this kind of vortex of making sure that we want our opinion to be known and even when it's an opinion that, that really Jesus gives us freedom in, if we don't get things our way, we want to tear people down rather than build people up. And what happens when followers of Jesus say, no, I'm not going to tear people down anymore. I'm only going to speak what is useful for building others up. Something that benefits those who listen. And finally, we can fast forward to chapter 5, verse 4. Paul says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. What happens when we use words that aren't obscene? Do you realize that in some ways obscenities change from culture to culture, from language to language? And what if we refrain from using those words that are obscene in our own culture? Why? Because... God has asked us to. And how many conversations in workplaces and on job sites do followers of Jesus engage in coarse joking or foolish talk? And what would happen if we were more intentional with our words and refrained from those things? What type of good things would we sow in this world? Good words would we sow in this world that could produce a harvest? The point is, is, it is, as Solomon said, that our words have the power of life and death. Whether they're spoken, whether they're written, whether they're texted, whether they're emailed, whether they're tweeted, and those who love them eat their fruit. And as followers of Jesus, he says, one of the ways that we should stand out in this world is by how we speak, speaking the truth in love, refraining from falsehood, not letting unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but what is useful for building others up according to their need and benefiting those who listen and refraining from obscenities and foolish talk and coarse joking. And what would happen if you're a disciple of Jesus in the room and you said, Jesus, why don't you control my tongue in the ways that Paul has said? What, what, what would change? What would change in you? What would change in the world? I think if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can see the benefits of, of speaking like him and, and living like him. I'd encourage you to, to take an inventory of your words. If we're going to allow the hard truths about words to penetrate, our, our world is starved. Our world is starved. I, I was speaking to some people in the last week about um, just kind of how they're encouraged. And, and I was hearing more and more about how not very many people are saying encouraging things anymore. They're, they're just speaking their complaints and the things they're unhappy about. And what would happen if we reversed that as followers of Jesus and we chose to speak what was good? So take an inventory. Take an inventory. Are you, are you one who speaks the truth in love? Are you one who is prone to, 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 to love a juicy story even if you don't know if it's true and so you just have to tell it to somebody else or will you refrain from falsehood? Just take an inventory. Are, are you one who 
speaks what is useful for building others up? Or are you one who's known for your coarse joking or your obscenities or your foolish talk? Well, well do that inventory and then ask God to help you. Maybe it's, a, it's something you, you go to him daily with and say, God, I want you to help tame my tongue as James talks about in James chapter three, how, how the tongue it can be this restless evil, how, how it's powerful. It steers us and it steers the course of our life. And maybe you just say, God, I want you to help me. I want you to help me in this way daily. Take that inventory. I'd encourage you to understand that we'll be held accountable for our words. I want to show you these just startling words in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. Jesus says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. When Jesus speaks this, it should tell us that our words matter. Your words matter, your texts matter, your tweets matter, your posts matter, your emails matter. My tweets matter. My posts, my emails, my words, they matter. There's accountability for the things that we speak and we write and we say in this world. And if we rewind a little bit further, Jesus tells us what influences so often the words that we speak. Look at verse 34 of Matthew chapter 12. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? And he gives us this statement, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Ultimately, what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what's in our hearts. And if I'm honest, and if you're honest, that's incredibly sobering. Again, take an inventory of how you speak and what you say and what you write. It's a reflection of what's gone in. A heart is that place of decision-making. It's probably more in keeping with, with the mind. Uh, what influences are coming in? Because that affects what's coming out. Maybe you've, you've experienced this. I remember junior high and high school, uh, I would hang out with a certain group of friends, and if that group of friends was using more obscene language and they were cussing more, they were using more sexual humor, guess what ended up happening in my own life? I would say things that were more crass and I would joke about things that I wouldn't otherwise have joked about because what goes in affects what comes out. That's why if you watch a lot of television that's super sarcastic, guess what comes out? A whole lot of sarcasm. If you, if you, if you, if you watch a lot of things that are full of violence, guess what often happens in your thinking? Even if you don't act upon it, there's, there's violence. Jesus says that our mouths speak what the heart is full of. Will you monitor what's coming in so what's coming out honors him because we'll be held accountable for that in the end. Um, when we think about words having the power of life, uh, I think we have to draw our attention to God because he exhibits this so clearly and so fully. How did God bring the world to be? How did he create? Genesis chapter one. God spoke, and there was light. 
God spoke, and the seas were formed, and they teemed with life. God spoke to call Abraham to follow him. God spoke on the mountain where he gave instructions to Moses that would direct the course of the people's life. God spoke through prophets to draw people back to himself. What is Jesus known as? The word become flesh. God speaks at Jesus' baptism, declaring him, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. Jesus speaks and disciples follow him. Jesus speaks and deaf men hear. Jesus speaks and lame men walk. Jesus speaks and blind men see. Jesus speaks and wind and waves are stilled. Jesus speaks and dead men rise. God himself illustrates the power of speech, the power of our words. And those of us who look to him as our Lord, as our Savior, as our Master, as our King, have to look to our words and see the power that is in them. Even beyond this, how did God choose to tell his story to us about who he is and what he wants for us? Through words. Words have the power of life and death. How has God entrusted his message to us? How is it to be shared with the world in need? Through our words. And this is why this is such a hard truth. If followers of Jesus cannot see the importance of our words and cannot allow God to shape our words, do we understand that then our words often corrupt how people understand his word? Do we not see that, that our message sometimes keep people from seeing his message? What if we can take that greater inventory and allow Jesus to change our speech and to trust him? That's the hard truth. Our words matter. They have the power of life and death. Our world is starved for positive words. We possess the answer. Disciples of King Jesus should be known by our encouraging words. Anybody among us have that threat growing up that if you spoke rudely to your parents or used crash language that... Uh, you would get your mouth washed out with soap, anybody? That was a threat that was pretty common in my household. Uh, I can only remember biting on a bar of soap one time. It wasn't because I cussed. It wasn't because I, I used inappropriate language or told a coarse joke. It's because uh, I back-talked my mom. Um, and she washed my mouth out with soap. What would happen if followers of Jesus allowed Jesus to wash our mouths out? that he would cleanse our speech and we would speak what is honorable and pleasing to him. Uh, followers of Jesus, if we could just grab hold and tame and allow the spirit to tame our words, we would be able to bring such light into darkness. Well, if we didn't have to weigh in on, on every story that upsets us online, or what if instead of attacking with words, we simply would share an honest and gentle and loving defense for our beliefs? People might be more willing to listen and find the hope that they desperately crave even if they don't realize it or not. And if you're, if you're listening, if you're watching and, 
and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you see the benefits and maybe you like me can think of all these times when your tongue got you into trouble. Like I have a list. Um, here's what I've learned in life. Often if God uses you to um, use words a lot in your career, that means that oftentimes you have a lot of mistakes you've made with your words too. There's just kind of the, the, the curse that comes with that. And I have a whole list of things I wish I hadn't said and I wish I hadn't typed and I wish I hadn't texted. And I hope that it's getting fewer and fewer and fewer. But the only way that changes is through his power. I don't do it on my own. And if you want your tongue to be tamed, if you want to use words that are uplifting and encouraging and bring life, if you want to speak the truth in love, if you want to get rid of falsehood, if you want to get rid of coarse joking, if you want to speak what is useful for building each other up, then it's going to come by surrendering to his power. Jesus is the only one that can change the way we speak. The enemy is the father of lies. He's too good at de deceiving us to, 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 to weigh in in a harsh way or to, to say something we think will we'll tell that person how we really feel, and it never really does, does it? So if you want to have your tongue tamed, it comes from him and his power, and he would love to make that change in you. If you'd like to explore what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, to be rescued by his love. We'd love to have that. Uh, I think Sean shared earlier, you can scan one of the QR codes that says, let's connect in our building. You can fill out a connection card at one of our communion tables and put it in the offering box. You can come up and visit with me or one of our elders at the front of the room and you can start that conversation. But Jesus has a better way. Let's be people who lay hold of the power that's in the tongue and use it for good. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word, your words that speak life your words that speak truth. God, would you do the hard work of grabbing a hold of the attention and of your disciples in our country? Would you impress upon us the weight of our words? Would you transform the way we speak? Would we be known Father, for the good that comes from our mouths and not our grumbling and our complaining and our anger. And God, through that, would you draw people to your life? God, so often we expect those who don't know you to act like they do and we get frustrated when they don't. And God, I can't imagine how frustrated it is for you to see people who know you to act like they don't. And so would you help us to act like we know you so we might reach a world that's in desperate need of your good news. Help us and lead us, God. In your name we pray, amen.